Thanks for downloading the TCT Podcast. For all the latest news on the 3D printing and additive manufacturing industry, visit tctmagazine.com. Welcome to the TCT Podcast, Episode 3. I'm your host, Laura Griffiths, and this month we are discussing the topic of colour 3D printing. How do we define it? What's the difference between full colour and colour full? And what developments are going on behind the scenes in the industry to help shed some light on one of 3D printing's grey areas? Colour is a tricky subject. Last month you will have undoubtedly been aware of a certain dress that caused quite the social media stir, when half of the world claimed to see it in black and blue, and the rest are white and gold. And that's without throwing 3D printing into the mix. There are millions of colours on the International Colour Consortium, designed to function seamlessly across all software. Yet 3D printing technology varies in the number we have access to. If we see the world in full, vibrant colour, why are we often restricted to a basic palette? In this episode, we speak to the experts from MCOR Technologies, Adobe, Shapeways, Fabadastry, and Newcomer Spectrum about why colour 3D printing is so important. Connor McCormack, co-founder and CEO of MCOR Technologies, told us what makes 3D printing in colour such a hot topic. 3D printing has gone through loads of evolutions and, and major steps as you, as you move along, but um, from the first time I ever talked about 3D printing and more recently with our colour technology, we all see in colour, uh, We designers design in colour and there's even evidence that we even dream in colour. So everybody kind of has that colour in their mind and it adds so much more detail than just a simple object. So um, that became very apparent to us. Uh, if you print out a standard uh, part that's either in white or any one solid colour and then you add like a full bitmap image on there of someone's face for example it just adds so much more detail and I think it's because we've evolved as humans uh, you know we see colour and we, we see detail and we actually our brain fills in uh, different things that aren't really there so it can make something look like it has a huge amount of detail just purely by adding colour so I think colour is becoming more and more important especially uh, when you move into the consumer segment, I, I think there's obviously people in the maybe in the commercial that might not never use colour. But I think when you're when you're looking at the consumer, it's becoming more and more important. With things like the consumer market, um, you know, you've got things like the the mini me's that you guys do, but also, um, I guess I want to talk to you a little bit about how important colour is with things like that and getting, you know, such accurate colour representation. Yeah. But also, um, for things like brands as well, because uh, for something like you guys, orange is obviously quite a big a big part of your identity. Yeah. So how important is it to get those colours completely accurate? Oh, it's essential. Um. Yeah, and you know when you when you talk to the color experts, so like we're we're engineers here. You know we invented this machine. You know we said you know it'd be cool to make this printer, and you know then it'd be cool to make it in color, and we can make a color printer. But it's only when we started to get into the color that we realized, oh my goodness, you know there's a massive uh, whole area here from the 2D printing, from everybody who prints out business cards to uh, to big posters, and to them color is essential. You know like the Coca-Cola red or uh, you know the Nike color or a JCB, like something like that. Their color is everything. The brand can be just with a color. So for us, when we started to realize that uh, with our color technology, because we're printing on paper and we're using ink, which is what pa- paper and ink were designed to work together, 
we realized that our color gamut uh, was a lot higher than the other color technologies out there. So we said, you know, we should be able to print like photorealistic color, and that is their goal. As a company, you know, we believe the DNA of our technology will enable us to get to photorealistic uh, color. So the way we did that was that we we utilized the, the ICC color mapping. So we take the international color standard, the CIE standard, we take the color, the RGB color off the screen and we find out what that should be in CYMK and we print it out on the printer to, to get exact, like a WYSIWYG, whatever you get on the 3D printed object. So for us, uh, we feel that 3D printing color has a long way to go to get to the same as a 2D printed color. Uh, but now that the color, air color, is getting really, really strong, people are starting to realize, oh, you can maybe print uh, pan tones and you can print skin tones. And so, so for us, it's becoming more and more important. But you need to be able to tie it into the international standards, and that's what we did. Could you tell us a little bit about moving from kind of um, the software to the technology, what that process looks like? Obviously. You know, it, it can be a challenge to get color data. Like, it's, it's sometimes it can be hard enough. It used to be hard enough to get a solid model, like a watertight model that you could print, and that's become easier and easier with better software and uh, new apps. But when you add color on top of that, it adds another layer of complexity. So um, now the easiest way to, to get color into your model uh, is two ways, either to use a scanner. So if you have a scanner that collects the color data, um, you know, and the, and the ones you can flip over your iPad or... Uh, using your mobile phone, like photogrammetry, they're probably the easiest way for the non-skilled person to get color onto your model. Uh, if you have a little bit more skill level and if you're like a professional using it, um, you would use a piece of package, either a free piece of package like Blender or some of the other packages that are professional like Alias and Photoshop and all that. And their skilled people can design and also put uh, color images back onto the object. So. So there's two different ways. If you're, if you're professional, there's lots of different packages. But if you don't have that skill level, you can. The easiest way to get color information onto an object is to use a scanner. Now we have another piece of software that comes with the machine uh, called Colorist and enables you to take a standard STL file that has no color, and you can actually download an image from the web or upload a photograph from from your phone, and it projects that image onto the object. So it gives you a representation of something in color quite quickly. Also, so. There's, there's a few different ways, but once you once you have it in, uh, you save it in a different file format. It's it's either in OBJ file format or WRML, um, and then you you send that to, to to the printer and it prints it out. So after that point, the user doesn't see any difference. Although behind the scenes, there's a huge amount of additional work that needs to be done to get the color right. But as far as the user concerned, once they have the color data on the screen and they hit the print, they just get the color part at the end. And you talked there a little bit about file formats. Um, just when we spoke to people in the past about um, you know, various things with colour 3D printing, um, the suggestion has been put out there that there possibly needs to be um, a new file format. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's always a good idea. I mean, the, 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 you know, when you look at these file formats, they're extremely old, a lot of them, and they have a lot of trouble. And they have a lot of old data. Like the, an SDL file format is a terrible file format, really. Um, there's a lot of duplicate facets, there's a lot of flip normals and you know you spend a lot of time when you're writing your first kind of assembler to, to fix all these problems and you say to yourself if there was a, if there was a new file format that would be great. Um, yeah, but the big thing about it is it needs buy-in from the, from the companies that generate the data so 
like the CAD packages, the, the SolidWorks, the ProEngineer, all these kind of companies, and the other SolidEdge and whatever, all the way up and down, uh, they need to embrace it. Otherwise, it's just going to be another format that only kind of niche people use. Uh, but I do think that uh, the easier it is, anything that makes it easier uh, to generate color information and to make it easier for to load in the file, uh, and it'll tell you very quickly if the file is printable, uh, you know, if you can interrogate the the, the geometry by uh, running algorithms through it and find out what's the tennis wall and can I orientate it this way, but that kind of stuff can be challenging with with the way models are made at the moment. So anything that would make that easier, yes, I'd be all in favour of it. I wanted to ask you a little bit about MCOR's current education focus because I know you're doing um, a lot of things now to kind of enable classrooms to get hold of 3D printing you know, a bit more cost effectively. Yeah. And I guess if, if, if classrooms now do have a 3D printer, it tends to just be maybe one colour or two colour. How important is it to get that next generation to understand full colour now? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think, as I said, you know, over the years, people would have been, especially universities and schools, would have been just delighted to get any technology. Um, and obviously, with the advent of the lower price point, you know, machines, it's fantastic that they can actually get access to the printers for a couple of thousand, and they can print that in plastic. And uh, you, you see that, like any technology, people are pretty happy with the first black and white TV. People were ecstatic about it. Uh, and then when someone came out with something that was a little bit better color, they go, oh, that's great, and then full color, and, and now we have like 4K TVs and all this kind of stuff. So it's a natural progression. So I think uh, people would initially see the, the, the mono colors, either it be black or blue or changing the plastic spool to mixing the plastics and getting a variation of layered color into the object. And it kind of whets the appetite for them to see something in full bitmap uh, image color. And as I said, you know, our whole goal here is to get a photorealistic uh, printed part. So there, there is a there is a natural progression, and I think that there is a desire, a hunger for for the education sectors to move into the full color printing. So uh, we get a lot of requests uh, for people that maybe would have bought uh, other three D printers over the last couple of years, uh, and that actually now like to try color. So it's a it, sometimes it can be a you know a supplemental uh, on top of the other technologies which is fantastic you know it's people that might have a plastic printer but they'd love to be able to print parts out in color to show what an end product would look like or to show some other detail because you can add a lot of information with an image you know you can you can add uh, something that looks like a door handle for example on a on a on a piece of architecture even though there's no geometry there you can put a lot of text on something and make it look super realistic like a print out of a screen or if you're printing at a like a mobile phone or a, a voltmeter, you know, something that, that that people will familiarize themselves with. If you can print text on that, it just makes it look a lot more realistic. So um, there is there is a real pull of, of for people that desire to print in full color. As a company that does print in full color, you know, you, you must have seen yourself, there's quite a lot of companies now that claim to do full color, but really it's just something, you know, perhaps maybe um, this summer you get 64 colors, for example. What do you yeah. make of um, claims like that? Yeah, well, for us, I mean, it's weird. Uh, like, in general sense, the more people that are looking at colour, it, it vindicates the effort that we've put into the technology over the last couple of years to provide full colour. Um, but we have a very simple saying when we talk about colour. It has to be any colour at any time. So at any point in the model, from pixel to pixel, it needs to be able to change from one colour to any colour of the millions of colours that are available. And only then, when you can do that, can you claim that it's a full color. So, 
So there's whole ranges of, you know, from people changing spools to maybe blending spools in, in um, extrusion heads to people trying to print into the spools uh, as they're going into the extrusion heads. So there's lots of different variations of it. But effectively, if you think about it, what they have to compete against is a 2D printer. Is a HP or a, a Xerox or a Canon printer that prints pixel per pixel, changing drop to drop in picoliters of of uh, ink and I just don't think that plastic is ever going to get there the technology is not going to enable that to happen so you will get close and you'll get people coming down to being able to change colors a lot faster than they're changing right now uh, but they have to compete against a technology that's you know the ultimate in, in terms of printing in color is, is an inkjet printhead and that's what the MCOR technology is levers on so um, for us when people say the full color uh, my question usually is, well, like, can they change pixel per pixel? And if they can't, they're not full colour. Is there anything new coming up for MCOR yourselves in regards to uh, to colour 3D printing? Yeah, well, we're constantly, as I said, we're, you know, we would see ourselves as an R&D company. You know, we we, we launched the, this actually current, the, the Irish machine uh, has been out since 2013. Uh, so what we've done since then is more software algorithms that keep on launching. So we're just about to launch a new software algorithm that actually makes a lot more vivid, sharper color transitions, uh, better color representation of what you see in the screen. So there's constantly new things that are coming out on the software. Uh, so that's where a lot of the development is going on currently. So you'll see that over the next couple of months is uh, new algorithms for the color to make the color more accurate. <laughs> Moving colour from the 2D space into 3D is one of the industry's biggest challenges. Mike Scrutton, Senior Product Development Manager at Adobe, explained how carrying information through the entire process from 3D design to finished part is crucial to achieving accurate colour representation. Well, one of the interesting lessons that we've learnt um, in the conventional and 2D printing space is, is the need to have continuity of, of accurate information all the way through a workflow. So one of the reasons that Adobe has been successful in that 2D space is that you know, we've, we've been able to build out uh, an ecosystem that allows you know, designers to create content in their applications like Photoshop or InDesign or Illustrator that they're familiar with. Um, and then take that that information and you know, colourful information all the way through a workflow through you know PDF as a format to to uh, you know review and approve documents that are being um, shared and then you know share those those documents with the same high level of of, of colour fidelity um, you know with with the customer either in an electronic form or or then to take those those PDF files and print them. And, and we're seeing huge parallels between that um, in the 3D space as well, where people are wanting to create that rich content um, and review it at some point and, and print it. Um, and there is so many parallels there um, that, you know, people, it's almost as if people are coming to us and saying, you know, Adobe, we really want you to bring everything that you did for the, for the 2D industry. And can you help us with some of the problems we're facing in 3D? And what kind of things are people asking for them? What what is the demand like from the industry? Um, it's been it's been really encouraging. Um, it kind of falls in two main areas. Um, one of them is just one in terms of of, um, of of workflow and data interchange. So um, the people, you know, some people, you know, one of our best case secret, secrets is the fact that there is a uh, international internationally approved format around. Um, 
3D and PDF. The idea we can have a, three, a 3D model embedded in the PDF file and that you can share it with your customers or you can use it in your department to, to look at 3D models. Basically, there's a, there's a 3D model viewer baked into um, every one of the millions and millions of uh, installed seats of Adobe Reader out there. Um, and and that's, a, that's a very well kept secret. So um, people are asking us to help sort of leverage that um, because not everybody has a, has a you know, desktop 3D software um, to, to look at 3D models, but frankly, everybody's got a copy of Adobe Reader. So that, that's, that's one aspect. Um, and then the other aspect is um, around color. Um, Adobe has a lot of expertise in color. You know, even you know, going back since the early days, you know, the, we may be celebrating Photoshop's 25th anniversary this week, but you know we've been um, we celebrated the the 30th anniversary of PostScript several years ago, um, and um, Adobe in the printing industry um, is is a very very well known brand, is a very very well known technology, uh, is a very mature technology and successful, and you know desktop printing in color. Um, is something that we we understand very very well, and we've been able to take that color expertise in the print space and apply that um, to the 3D world. So people are coming up to us saying, right, you know, we want to, um, you know, how do we print in color? How do we get the color right? How do we match the customer's expectations so that what we're printing, you know, isn't you know little green men when I expected to, uh, you know, a a, uh, a 3D uh, portrait of of my customer, you want to have something that looks like them rather than just resembles them. Um, one of the things that you mentioned when you spoke at TCT show last year was this difference between um, 3D printing being colourful and full colour. Can you explain a little bit about the difference between those? Yeah, we've seen a number of devices that have come onto the market um, and a lot of movement even in the last three months since TCT of um, devices that enable people to build beautiful things. And, and, and another analogy that I've, I've thought of recently is, you know, when, when we were kids, you know, we, we, we did marbling at school, right? We poured, we poured oils and paints on water and, and we dipped um, paper on top of them or, or we, built, we made tie-dye t-shirts. And, you know, the tie-dye t-shirts we made were, were extremely colorful and had bright, vibrant colors, but we had next to no uh, control as to the design um, that we were we were putting onto those T-shirts, so it was very very colourful, but we didn't really have control of where that colour went, and and so that's the kind of a distinction I'd make between colourful and full colour. You know, when when we talk about f um, uh, full colour in 3D printing, we're talking about not just a part which can be something other than a base material like a, a, a white or a grey or a uh, or a clear or a, a shade of something, but actually something where a designer gets to accurately choose exactly what color do they want and where do they want to put it on their 3D model and actually do that in a reliable way um, so that their customer gets exactly what it was they, they expected. So why is this idea of full color and color matching so important for customers? It's um, increasingly important in, in several different market areas. One of them is um, with the increasing use of 3D printers for um, artistic and final content creation. So, um, for example, there's a massive growth in the market for people scanning and, and printing figurines, uh, caricatures of, of people. And, you know, in, in that case, um, Capturing a geometry is one thing of somebody, um, but actually you want to capture their skin color. You want to capture the color of the clothes that they were wearing or, or, or 
um, other things in the scene. And because that's really going to make the difference between you recognizing yourself as, you know, this is something I want to, to have as pride of place on my, my mantelpiece as opposed to, you know, this, this is me dressed up in a Halloween costume. Um, <laughs> and put it in the bottom of the drawer. So for, you know, for customers to actually like the stuff that, that they see, um, that color's got to be accurate. There's another and probably more important aspect as well, which is around the area of brands. So where, where companies are using 3D printing to, to prototype models uh, which are going to represent their brand, it's very important to have those brand colors represented on that final model as well, rather than somebody having to use their imagination, say, okay, this is my, my corporate red is going to be here or my corporate blue is going to be here. You know, people have very, very clear expectations of exactly what shade of red that should be or exactly what shade of blue that should be. Um, and, and so being able to get reproduce those colors very accurately is highly important to those brands. So those kinds of examples you talk about, the, a lot of that at the minute is being tackled by the more industrial side. Um, do you see a time when the desktop 3D prints industry will kind of catch up with that? I think it probably will. Um, if we look at what we've, we learned from, from looking at the, the desktop publishing um, you know, industry, um, um, a lot of that comes around um, uh, capabilities of the printers and, and standards on the printers. So. You know, the, the desktop uh, printer market, you know, 25 years ago, um, you could choose to have a blue or a red. And the, what, you, the, what you saw on screen as a blue or a red didn't necessarily match what you saw, you know, when you printed that, uh, that particular paper document. I think we're going to see the same change in the desktop market as well. I think um, uh, increasingly what we're seeing is that, um, that desktop uh, printers are being used to prototype the prototype. Um, you know, so you may well have an industrial printer at your bureau or in your production department or in your, or in your manufacturing department, which is very, very expensive, needs a trained operator, um, and can, can, can give you the, the very, very best results. But what you really want is something on your desk that you want to just check the model, that it actually looks just right, probably a, even a smaller version, but you want to check it for uh, geometry and also for color correctness, you know, make, make sure it matches my design before I commit to tying up that expensive high-end printer uh, to print this model in bulk. So I think we are seeing some, some, a lot of interest in this market. I think we are still a little way off from having that desktop um, color printer. It seems to be quite elusive. Companies have suggested that they were on the verge of bringing it to market, but I don't, haven't seen anybody that successfully uh, managed to achieve that just yet. Have you seen more people using the 3D tools in Photoshop? We have. We've seen a lot of interest, and and it's come from from a wide variety of people. Um, a lot of the some of the early people that we, we've we've spoken about are people who were who were designing in in um, uh, in in Photoshop or maybe creating 3D scenes. Photoshop traditionally has been used as a tool to um, create. Um, let's say, two-dimensional renderings of 3D content. So the idea where you, know, you don't really want to have to take your latest prototype of your, your sports car to um, Highway 1 in California and wait for the, for the fog to move off the beach and, uh, um, <laughs> and everything else to get that perfect photo shoot. So people would do that sort of thing and compose things in, in, in Photoshop. And what we find now is those same people now are able to take that content or that scene that they built and actually 3D print it. Um, so that they can also now have that same car can be there as a as a feature on a on a on a, tra a trade show booth or somewhere else. So, you know, the idea of people who are doing design, we have artists as well, um, 
who create these beautiful designs and beautiful renderings who are now who are able to experiment with actually printing those those figurines or those those models or those animatronics and actually um, um, generating real prints. Um, we're seeing another big growth in the in the areas of of of, of less expert users. You know, people who you know, so many people have a copy of Photoshop um, on their desk. It, it's it's um, a large number of people who are familiar with how to use it. Um, and and so enabling them now to actually be able to design and create content in 3D using a, a tool that they're already familiar with in two dimensions um, has been very exciting for a very large number of our customers. I guess on in the other side of things, we've, we've talked about you know you know the usual consumer customers and desktop. Um, what do you think of these sort of larger companies coming in now, like like HP and the MultiJet Fusion full color printer? Do you think that there's any sort of scope to to work together on things like that? So we're very excited by a lot of the, the movement in the high end. There are, there are several companies now that um, um, that have um, products available on the market. Um, we see color um, high end printers from the likes of uh, 3D Systems and uh, Mcore and Stratasys, um, and and you know there's a lot of uh, very exciting. Uh, opportunities that we have to work with these particular companies to try and, you know, tie this whole ecosystem of end-to-end -end workflow that we were talking about. So the idea that somebody can can design a model in Photoshop and see exactly how they want it to look on screen, um, and then take that that color data um, and use it in their workflow, and then reproduce that on their 3D printer um, is something we see a, a, an awful lot of design of uh, of interest in. Uh, and there's a lot of scope. Um, the different technologies that are out there um, have different advantages and disadvantages. You know, in the 3D printing space, of course, we know, you know material is all important, right? Um, it, it's not just about um, how the thing might look aesthetically. It's also about the mechanical properties of, of the thing that we're printing um, and also the price of both the printer and the materials. So um, I think there's a lot of space uh, for um, the 3D printer uh, manufacturers to coexist in the market because depending on what a particular um, uh, user might need uh, from their final printed part, you'll need a different technology to um, to try and reproduce it. But certainly the color, the advances in the color of the height, and we're seeing, you know, the fact we're seeing more and more people trying to do color on the desktop, frankly, is is a way of legitimizing the fact that color is important to people all the way through their workflows. You know, be they a desktop user or be they uh, a, a commercial or industrial user of 3D printing. And I guess in, in your mind, what do you think is needed now to, to, to move forward? What, what, what does the industry need to, to kind of push color 3D printing? Is it more work in materials? Is it software? You know, is, is it a, a better speed, anything like that? What, what do you think? I think that there's two, two main areas. I, one of the problems that we have from the, from the materials that we see um, is one of what we call color gamut. So... There's a difference between the number of colors that you can represent on your computer monitor and the number of, and it's not really about number of colors, it's about range of colors. You know, what's the yellowest yellow you can represent or what's the greenest green or the bluest blue and all this sort of thing. And, and you know, the, the, the purplest purple. You know, this is, a, this is really what we mean by color gamut. It's, that, it's the range. It's not about how many colors you can reproduce. It's about that range of colors that's very important. So... Um, so the different printers out there at the moment have relatively limited gamuts in terms of the range of colors that they can reproduce. So um, advances from printer manufacturers to create a better range of colors. Um, fortunately at Adobe, we've got experience in, in how you mix colors together 
uh, to get better results. So, for example, you know, on your desktop printer or even on a on a on an industrial 2D printer, you know, you have great big, uh, <laughs> you have great either small cartridges or great big drums of fine magenta yellow ink, and and we mix them in software to uh, to get the result, yeah, any result of color you want. So it's partly about the materials and the technology in the printers getting better to allow us to create a better gamut, a better range of colors, um, married then with advances in, in computer software to, to control the mixing of those materials. Um, so we've been working on, the, on the, the software side of that equation, you know, because of our experience in, um, in, in the mixing of colors. Um, you know, more advances from the printer manufacturers to create a, a wider range of colors or a bigger gamut on their printers is the other part of the equation that's needed to get really what the customers need. Right, okay. Um, well, finally, I suppose, then, um, what can we expect from Adobe um, the, for the rest of this year? Well, what I can say is Adobe is very, very excited about being a part of this industry. It's an amazing industry with amazing people and amazing companies. And... Um, and what we're very excited by is is helping you know our existing customers and our new customers and uh, our existing partners and our new partners in helping bring uh, the rich color of what we see on screen uh, to be able to hold it in our hands and see it in reality. And that's exceedingly exciting for Adobe. Earlier this year, we were introduced to Spectrum, a full-color attachment which can be plugged seamlessly into most open-source desktop 3D printers to deliver color 3D printing. We spoke to Spectrum co-founder Cedric Kovacs-Johnson to find out more. Spectrum is a full-color attachment uh, for desktop FFF uh, 3D printers. So basically, as an aftermarket component, we can work seamlessly with most of these open-source printers in sort of a plug-and-play way. Uh, to allow these printers to print in uh, full color. Why does the desktop 3D print industry need color? What is that demand for? Sure, that's a, that's a really good question. You know, we actually discovered this uh, kind of because we wanted to bring color for ourselves, but then we had to take a long time to kind of look and examine, you know, who would need it. And it turns out that a lot of people, you know, hobbyists are, are really interested in it, but what really excites us is, Color as a tool, and the people that use 3D printers right now for work, prosumers, engineers, they're starting to migrate to these desktop machines. You know, this is where all the iterations happen. This is where all the dirty work and prototyping happens. Color, color as a tool brings so much, such a new element beyond just the aesthetic. So, for example, an engineer with a complex assembly of parts can uh, import uh, that into our, into our model and easily have each component be a different color. You know, very simple things like that. Or using color over time uh, as you create new versions of a, of a prototype, you know, if you can use color to see exactly what version that belonged to, that's a really great factor. So there's a lot of uses for color as a tool, too. And the idea of full colour in 3D printing is quite heavily contested in the desktop sector especially. And you tell us about the actual technology and what does actually make it full colour. Sure, sure, sure. So I'm not going to get too far into the specifics, but um, yeah, but it's a dye-based process and pre-extrusion. So pre-extrusion means that it happens before it hits the nozzle. So we interact with the filament and we control it to apply the colour in our own way to let it come out in a very predictable and precise, discrete fashion. So, um, and so what that means is that 
Pre-extrusion, it can be an add-on, meaning it can work with a large variety of platforms. And also, it gives us the capability of accomplishing three things specifically. And so when we started development, we said we need to accomplish three things for this to be a great product. First is that we need to be able to reproduce nearly any color in the spectrum that someone might want to see. Uh, second thing that we needed to do was be able to uh, have the color be fully integrated. So we wanted the color to be as true as uh, filament you might buy from the store. Um, and the third thing was we knew with a single extrusion 3D printer system, we wanted the colors to transition in and out extremely quickly and pre precisely. And uh, so that, that would give us the control to do multiple colors per layer. And you mentioned then that you you work in towards you know it could work with different machines, but you actually debuted at CES um, last year, sorry this year, and with the guys from Robo Three D. And we did speak to Braden Marino there, and he said that he just had to get involved with Spectrum. So what is it you're doing with them? Yeah, no. So we're using uh, Robo as our uh, beta testing platform. So Robo has proved to be an excellent machine uh, at a low cost that you know is completely open source. So it's been easy for us. To, to take apart and, and work with it and really try all the crazy ideas that went into making Spectrum what it is today. One of the other main barriers is, is software and what have you done to overcome that? Absolutely and that's one of the big, uh, big challenges that we're working on addressing in 2015. So software right now, the software that we're working with is a fork of a very popular and very powerful open source Cura. So we, we've been able to fork it to a point where we can apply colors vertically. So we can apply layers of colors. And what it actually lets us do, import the STL, apply the layers, and just hit print. And it starts our machine and the printer at the same time and sends the color information, and it's just perfect. At the minute with 3D printing, there's kind of three areas. You've got your software, your hardware, and materials. Do you think that we're kind of up to speed and we're on the same level at the minute with those areas? That's a really good question. I think software, uh, that, that, that's really interesting. I think on the macro picture, software is at a point where it's, it's got a lot of the features that the core users need, but there's still, I think, quite a bit that can be done to streamline the software. On the hardware end, um, and, and the software, you know, that goes beyond just the printing experience, too. That's everything from certifying models and the, and the licensing of those. So I, th I think there's still quite a bit of work to be done there. Um, and also wireless printing and all, all these features. Uh, the hardware, I think, there's while well, printers have become amazingly efficient, there's quite a degree of, of failed prints that still is just you know innate, and especially with FFF printing. And I think that um, whether it's bed adhesion issues or, or or skipping or things like this, I think that uh, once hardware will be to the point where it's perfect every single time, I think that'll be perfect. Um, and then soft, uh, and then the materials is probably one of the most exciting things uh, about I think 3D printing. And I think any advancement in materials, whether that's strength or flexibility, and you know, in in a sense, color. I think it drives new markets and new applications tremendously quickly. Um, one thing I wanted to ask about was um, last year, um, Spectrum won the undergraduate first prize in the Collegiate Inventors Competition. And what was that like? Did it reaffirm just how significant this technology is? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that was a fantastic experience. And you know, the judges were some of the, some of the best-known inventors in the world. 
and to have them really tell us that you know something that we'd created was was uh, important and significant uh, was was really great and you know what kind of demands did you create this um this technology for i mean what were people asking for in the industry what did you what question did you have to answer to create this well, we initially set it out uh, set out to create something that we wanted to use, and we were engineers. Um, so a lot of the, the the needs and the uses were tailored around making things, designing things. But as we started asking more questions, I mean, you're absolutely right. We started to find all the uses where people were just unsatisfied by what's out there. A large uh, uh, market that we had never quite anticipated was medical, and in our minds, medical was always you know, sterile application, very high precision, very expensive. But turns out that medical uh, professionals, especially radiologists, are using desktop printers to print out, you know, different um, different CT scans and different parts like that to, to, to get that. And if you can even just do simple color differentiation throughout a model, let's say a blood vessel, a vein versus a, an artery or a bone versus a tumor, just to distinguish elements, it's tremendously powerful. Fabadashery specializes in developing unique colored bioplastic 3D printing filaments. With a background in material science, technical director Dr. Andrew Dent says that every one of the company's 40 plus filaments should have a story. What we wanted to do was form a, a company where we could kind of really push a couple of agendas. One was taking this amazingly powerful technology of additive manufacturing, which was just becoming affordable, and getting it into the hands of uh, creative individuals. Uh, we wanted to provide materials to do that, but we also wanted to do that in um, a more uh, environmentally sound, a more sustainable way. So when we set up the company, we decided to specialize just in bioplastics, and that's what we've provided and now we provide a range of over 40 different colors um in um in bioplastic and how important is that range of colors to customers color range is really important i think the the, the key thing is that most of our customers aren't simply using the technology for rapid prototyping which is something which has taken place for decades i think what's new now is People are really using the technology for true digital manufacturing. So the objects and the items they're producing are the, the final pieces. Um, so we have some wonderful jewellery designers um, in London and France who just use exclusively our products. Um, but even people who, are, who aren't necessarily making finished articles um, still find it's important for the visualisation to their clients. So we have a lot of architects that use our range of neutrals to try and convey um, more of a sense of, of the project that they're presenting to their clients. Um, we also find, we, um, because we're a small UK-based manufacturing company, um, we also do a lot of bespoke work. So we have corporate clients, um, some high street brands that uh, are interested in using uh, the technology, uh, but for them, um, having an accurate match to their brand colors and being able to um, present that to their customers is really important to maintain their, their corporate identity. What is it that makes that so important? Does that allow you to reach? Because I, I know you do a lot of stuff to, um, to match with, you know, Pantone colors and all that kind of range. Is it quite difficult to get that, you know, to that level? Uh, 
Yeah, in terms of the color formulation, um, basically every, everything we do uh, is in-house. We don't use off-the-shelf colorants. Um, the reason for, for doing that early on actually was more of a technical aspect. So um, most people who are using uh, filament-based 3D printers um, are familiar with If they change the color of the filament they're using, uh, the material might print quite differently, so they might have to re-prepare their um, sliced designs or, or optimize their printer. Um, what we've done in our range is try to really narrow that variability. So once you've dialed in your printer and it's working great with our material, it doesn't matter which color you're using, it will just work. Um, in terms of color matching, um, you know, we're, we're really lucky to collaborate with um, uh, an expert color matching lab um, so that, that doesn't really represent too much of a problem for us. Um, some of the kind of interesting challenges really is one thing with our material, we've always made sure all of the um, additives we use are um, approved for food, con uh, food contact and toy safety in Europe. Um, and so actually we've got quite a narrow palette and there's some other restrictions on there to do with environmental properties we, we look at which isn't apparent um, to, to most people and, it, and even actually um, other producers in our market because most people are just taking off the shelf colours and adding it to their plastic rather than creating something bespoke. And you do have quite a unique range, unique range of colours. I mean, you go from things like you know, printing with with glittery filament to um, you know, your very own rainbow packs, which you were the first to introduce. And um, you take requests for colours as well. You know, what what do customers um, often ask for? Um, we get all kinds of wonderful requests for colours. Um, colour development for us is is really important. It's kind of an um, something actually we don't shout about very much perhaps we should so when we start a, a a new development project around a color or a theme typically that represents about six months of development work so for any one color we're likely to go through a minimum of three or four but sometimes as many as 10 iterations until we're really happy and and, and we're producing material at desktop scale right through to um when we're doing our final pre-production runs producing you know large quantities of material but throughout that I think what's unique about what we do is it's not just looking at the te technical aspects of that we're we're trying to design materials uh, and particularly colors that are going to be useful for certain specific applications and um, uh, so for instance we um, had requests from uh, model making enthusiasts um, who wanted uh, neutral colours which were more in, in tone with the kind of palette they were used to working with um, and, and we launched that. Um, so for instance Desert Tan is one of our colours. Um, we've got an amazing range of, of coloured metallic products um, which are really popular with robot enthusiasts, the people who um, have robotics projects. Um, for us, each colour also kind of has to have a story. So, so our starting point is um, perhaps not a specific colour, but it, sometimes it's the narrative. So, for instance, Aurora, one of our filaments, it changes from um, a pink by daylight to uh, a neon blue under ultraviolet light. We were really interested in, in actually that kind of storytelling of how things can transform depending on the properties of light 
As a material scientist yourself, um, how exciting is it to see you know young people and others getting enthusiastic about material science thanks to 3D printing? It's, yeah, it's hugely exciting. It's been one of the constant motivators for our company. Mm-hmm. So I have an eight-year-old daughter, and um, the inspiration, or a large part of our inspiration, is seeing what she does with the technology that Aww. she... Um, <laughs> <laughs> see, uh, it, it's amazing because her imagination is so just much more unlimited than, you know, a lot of us as adults. So rather than kind of sitting down with me and asking to buy the, uh, you know, a My Little Pony um, toy, she'll sit down and go, cool, can we design an octopus with butterfly wings or oh, a, va- wow. a vampire mouse? <laughs> um, and just crazy stuff, really creative stuff. And I think what's really Im- important in general about what's happening in this movement and this whole maker movement, which we're just a small part of, is that transition of a whole generation of young people from just unquestioning consumers to people who want to be involved in the creation of what they're using and interacting with, and and, and that's amazing. In terms of material science, um, um, it's been really hard to get people, uh, young people, excited and engaged with material science, unfortunately, because um, it's an amazing subject that covers... Uh, a whole range of things far beyond plastics. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think what's interesting for us at the moment is the ongoing um, debate about how we can um, always push forwards on the environmental sustainable credentials of, of, of this whole industry. And certainly, it, it, I think it opens up really interesting conversations with kind of school-age children um, talking about the opportunities to recycle materials um, and, and, and new applications like this. Um, I want to just quickly talk to you about the software and file preparation side of, of colour 3D printing. Um, do you think that we might need a different file type or perhaps slicing software for dual and triple extrusion um, FDM printing? Um, well, a few years ago, um, uh, uh, an alternative file format came along called AMF that um, does allow for description of colour data uh, as as well as you know traditional geometry that you typically have in an STL design file on your computer. Um, that's potentially very powerful, and um, some of the leading slicing file preparation software, for instance, Slicer and Open Source and other open source projects are supporting this file format. Um, it's still very far from mainstream. And I think most, many people using the technology in a, in, a, in a home setting, certainly, are downloading content from Umagine um, and Thingiverse and similar websites where, at the moment, um, you're not likely to get hold of these kind of files that um, have this extra data in. I think, certainly, the software needs to improve so going back um, about six years ago, uh, a project I was running in full-color 3D printing, trying to do just quite simple mapping of graphics onto 3D shapes. Um, the software was really, really lacking. And, and talking to um, many users who are still doing full-color 3D printing, it feels like there is a, there is a gap in that software. Um, and content creation um, that's kind of, I'd say, widely accessible rather than using very specialist software. So I think, yeah, there's lots of opportunities to improve the software and the tool chain 
to achieve full colour 3D printing. Shapeways Director of Global Community, Savannah Peterson, and Materials Manager, Raphael Stargrove, spoke about the importance of colour in brand identity. Having partnered with the likes of Hasbro, the world's leading 3D printing marketplace, knows firsthand the expectations for colour are high. I think that colour helps tell the story of many of the products that we see on Shapeways. We sell a lot of our full colour material, and it's kind of a gateway material for our shoppers. So we find that most people are incredibly excited when they see for the first time that you don't have to necessarily select a single filament or a single color to make your product, that you can really have the full spectrum. So it's incredibly important for both our designers as well as the consumers that come to our marketplace. And how has that helped the business to grow? I think that on the, the shopper side and people that are less familiar with digital fabrication and prototyping, it really captures a lot of what they imagine 3D printing to be. When people visit our factory, they walk through the whole thing and they think that the machines are really exciting. They're intrigued by all the things that other people have made, but they don't quite understand what they could make that they'd be excited about. And as soon as they see our full-color materials, they immediately want something and they want to know how they can be scanned. They want to know how they can buy their favorite meme. So it really touches home and I think it makes it much more accessible. Okay, so do you want to talk a little bit about the processes you actually use? You've got sandstone and plastic, is that right? Yeah, right now um, in the full color space, we have full color plastic, which is at this point a pilot material. It's a relatively early stage material that we are exposing to a limited number of makers to get a feel for that. And that's on the 3D system full color plastic machines. <coughs> Excuse me. And then we also have full color sandstone, which is our primary material. And that is on the formerly Z Corp, the 3D systems machine now. And we have those in both our factories and then also work with an external vendor network. That's the vast majority of our color content and our color production. So you say you give it out to kind of small tester groups. Do you get quite a lot of good feedback from that? Yeah, that's becoming a really big part of what we do. We find new materials that are they're familiar to the industry or they're just emerging in the industry, but they're not necessarily ready for the sort of standardization and the easy access that we need for a material. So what we do is we open it up to sometimes a couple hundred, up to a couple thousand users that are picked because they have the capability to do it and because they'll also use it in a really broad variety of ways. And then as they work with it, we understand pricing, we understand design rules, and we help to understand, it helps us understand what it's actually good for and how we should market to a broader customer base. And based on that, we can then bring it to shoppers and also to a broader base of makers. Um, one of the universal challenges, I guess, with colour 3D printing is that it's kind of hard to replicate the colours that you do see on screen. Do you, do you find that problem? Yes. It, with colour, it's interesting because it's not just about what you see on the screen. It's that every single set of eyes sees colour differently. And I think you see that problem and that challenge in the world exacerbated a bit when it comes to actually creating your own product. So inherently, no matter what, it's always going to look slightly different than what you may have perceived it to be on the screen. But that's one of the things that's really great about the way that we do our pilot groups for these materials is we ask for very explicit feedback on not only the form and the function of the model, but also did the colors meet your expectations and essentially match. And it's something that we, we look at often here, not just with our multicolor material, but even with our single color offering in our nylon 
we'll we'll double check that all the color is coming out the same all the time. Yeah, expectations around color are really difficult. I mean, with the single color materials, we have people basically order their part, they measure they put their part, and they compare it to measurements on the computer. It's a pretty simple one-off thing, and we can offer accuracy. With color, there's all the problems from how you define the color to the color pipeline, color management, to calibration of their screen, on through printing and across different printers. And since there's really no way to measure that that's very accessible, we get a lot of expectations issues, less than I would say accuracy issues. But that also means that we really have to explain to our customers what's reasonable and how close it's possible to get it. You have licenses with a brand like Hasbro. How important is it to replicate their exact colors for things like brand identity? For brand identity and things, we work with those partners to try and replicate it, and we definitely set their expectations around how consistent we can be and how close we can get it. So I think it's an important part of the branding, but it's definitely something that has to be dealt with on a one-off basis. And partners have to understand that we can't guarantee the sort of accuracy that you get with spot color and traditional web printing or something like that. There are more variables when you're working with the multidimensional objects and layering than there are when you're working with paper. And I think that that's kind of the, the biggest challenge. Yeah. And I think that's part of a lot of expectations that we have to set in working with partners that are used to more traditional media like this. So are there any other kind of major challenges at the minute that you think need improvement and that we need possible solutions to in the future? I think with color, a lot of it is around content generation. I mean, content generation comes more traditionally from video games and Maya, movie studios, that sort of stuff. And that isn't necessarily the easiest or most accessible way to make color content. And it's also not necessarily the right way to make color content for different types of printers. Right now, these printers basically act like desktop printers, and you have CMYK. But as we start looking forward to things like objects, multi-material printers, that sort of stuff, we're going to need a lot more investment in through-and-through -through color, voxel-based color, and also more intuitive ways of actually defining color. Right now, it's sort of you paint it on the surface, or you define a full shell. And it needs to be something a bit more intuitive than both of those. I'm not actually sure what it is yet. But there's starting to be some interesting stuff. Yeah, I think I think voxel-based color is exactly where we're headed here because we need to start thinking about shapes and forms and products as different surface finishes than we have in the past. Yeah. And I think, box, yeah, colorizing through voxels and, and that layer, serve, at least today, has the potential to be successful. What's also interesting is it's acknowledging that in 3D printing, we're not putting color on paper. We're actually making color material. So with voxels, you're really saying these are a bunch of different materials that we're organizing to make a colored object, whereas today we really think of it like we print the object and then we apply color on the surface, which isn't really true to the process. But there are a lot of developments at the minute, um, especially with companies like HP and the Multijet Fusion 3D printing. Do things like that excite you in regards to the possibilities that are coming up in the near future? I think the HP... Is going to be very exciting. Um, I'm also really intrigued right now by a lot of these multicolor, let's call them FDM machines, where okay. you're starting to be able to cut filament and you're starting to be able to use FDM machines like a lower quality version of color printing. And while that may not give you photo quality stuff, it's really useful for prototyping for more basic uses of color. But the HP stuff is that's much more of a path forward. That's how we can go yeah. through voxel based stuff, that's how we can have more accessible. Full color. Excuse me. Right now, we don't have a good platform for full color plastic. We've had a lot of mixed reactions around full color plastic, 
and yeah. it's not quite meeting our needs yet. Sandstone is working really well for things like memes, aesthetic things, um, architectural models, but yeah. for more functional parts, it really doesn't work. And I think that yeah. that's what we're waiting for. Yeah, I think I think yeah. the partnership with HP, and we're very excited to be launch partners with them out the gate. Well, essentially, open the doors that Selective Laser Centering did to conventional 3D printing. So you'll have those mm -hmm. capabilities and that kind of speed, actually 10x the speed of the way we currently color print with the new HP machines. And I think yeah. that'll really lower the barrier of entry for people to start iterating and start exploring and also increase the opportunities for designers looking to create, knowing that they can do fully articulated, functioning, assembled pieces. Shortly after recording this interview, Shapeways and HP joined forces with the likes of Autodesk, Microsoft and Netfab to launch 3MF, a voxel-based file format for 3D printing. Could this be the answer to our full colour-based prayers, or will it be another file format left on the Betamax heap? Keep up to date with the latest on the format war on tccmagazine.com. You can also find out more on colour 3D printing in the latest issue of TCT Magazine. Subscribe for free at tctmagazine.com or download via the TCT app on the App Store and Google Play. Don't forget you can also follow us on Twitter at the TCT Magazine and find us on Facebook at TCT Plus Personalise. I'm your host Laura Griffiths and thank you for listening to the TCT Podcast. <laughs>